0: Welcome to the Clinician Researcher Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy on and it is such a pleasure to be here talking with you today because I have a special guest, an absolutely super awesome physician coach who specializes in how people-pleasing, perfectionism, lack of boundaries intersects with burnout. It is none other than Dr. Megan Mello. Megan, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really pleased to be here and chat with you because that's always a good time for us.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So, Megan, clearly you're a physician (laughs) and you're a coach. Tell me about that journey.
1: Yeah. How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I'm a family and obesity medicine physician in Seattle, Washington, and was in practice for about 10 years before I started really sort of jumping into sort of more coaching frameworks. Initially, I became certified in Brene Brown's work through the Certified Daring Way program, being able to facilitate some of her programs and then also added on a life coaching certification when I was trying to do more work with my patients struggling with obesity. So I wanted to add coaching tools and be able to blend sort of both coaching and medical care. But what that led me to was becoming familiar with the literature on coaching and physician burnout. We had statistically significant uh, benefits to using coaching tools to help relieve physician burnout. I had been involved in physician wellness for a long time without having a lot of tools or skills. It's just something that I was passionate about. But being able to get trained as a coach and use these tools now with physicians has just made a tremendous difference for my life and, and the people that I serve. It's about relieving the stress. That same thing applies to my, my obesity medicine patients, right? Like relieving distress and bias and all the things that people struggle with. So it's really been quite a gift to the work that I already do.
0: Uh, that is really beautiful. And your work is a gift to my audience. And so I have clinicians who are trying to make this transition to becoming researchers and a lot of people pleasing a lot of perfectionism and definitely a struggle with boundaries and so i feel like you're, you're the perfect person to come on the show let's start with people pleasing what 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 do you how do you help us with people pleasing i feel like it's just it's just in our dna what are we going to do about it how can yeah. we how can yeah. we win
1: yeah and it it really kind of is in our dna because for so many of us who have been on the path to becoming physicians clinicians right? We have been high achievers for a very long time and their road to high achieving is filled with external validation, mm. right? We have been seeking prizes. We have been trying to be the tops in our class. You know, we have been trying to be amenable and polite. And, you know, if you think about medical school and the rotations that we go through, yes, you needed to know medical information, right? You needed to be able to do sort of medical skills and do that, but you also had to be, you know, the good one, the nice one, the smart one. And you had to restart that every four to six weeks, depending on how long your rotation was, right? Many of us got very good at, you know, being able to show up and be polite and pleasant and do whatever was necessary of us, right? We've we've built that habit over many, many years. And when we transition into our attending roles or, you know, if we're trying to do anything else professionally, no one tells us that we could turn that off. No one tells us that we no longer have to go seeking the gold stars. We we still want to do high quality work, but the higher achiever we are, right? The higher we are on the ladder, the less of the little stuff that we have bandwidth for, right? We need to be much more focused. And so when I'm working with someone, it's really about recognizing the discomfort that happens when you consider saying no. Right Mm -hmm. when you consider setting boundaries, when you are trying to advocate for what you need and want and getting all this pushback, because that's Mm -hmm. very real.
0: So, how do we turn it off? Because you're, I mean, when you start to talk about not being that person anymore, are you saying we should no longer be team players?
1: That is often the language that is used against us and often the language that keeps us stuck. Mm -hmm. So, me saying, to someone in a, in a kind of light way, you know, I'm not going to be able to help you with that or being able to say, well, you know, if, if I'm going to take on that project, then, you know, what else is, you know, what is coming off my plate, right? Being able to sort of negotiate and advocate for yourself, making it clear that you're not trying to be mean or rude, but there's only so much bandwidth we have, Right. We have to wrestle, though, with our own discomfort of saying no, because we have been trained right, that being a team player means you always say yes, Mm. but you're not going to be effective in any place that you are, really, if you're always saying yes, right? Even if you you are working at, I don't know, a clothing store, right? If you're always saying yes and always being interrupted, you're never going to complete any projects, Mm. right? We have to be somewhat focused. And in order to do that, we have to, you know, kind of tolerate that discomfort of saying, no, we have to sit with it. We have to practice it. sometimes, as silly as that sounds.
0: Yeah, I'm as you're speaking already feeling uncomfortable sitting with that discomfort so tell me how yeah. do how do you how do you, yeah. how do you help physicians to sit with the discomfort i mean okay so for yeah. my audience your yeah. mentor tells you to do something you're depending on your mentor to be you know to sign your letters of recommendation to support you in your in your projects and 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 when you say hey sit with the discomfort of saying no i'm thinking my career is is about to be over I'm about saying no to my mentor. So help me, help me talk to my audience about how do they handle this with mentors who have actual hierarchy over them in this, in this journey?
1: Yeah. What do we feel now when we're being asked to do too much? Frustration, resentment, overwhelm. Um, How am I ever going to get this done? right? We have a lot of negative emotions and they aren't pleasant to feel, right? Obviously, we don't like feeling them, but they are familiar. They're, they're sort of comfortable in their own way, right? This is just the way it is, right? Everybody has to go through this. You know, this is the cost of, of having this career, right? We have all these ideas that we just have to suck it up and deal with it. If we want to move forward, though, we're going to need to tolerate the discomfort of a different feeling, the discomfort of saying no, the discomfort of being able to advocate for yourself, you know, in order to be successful with the other things. So, you know, in the the instance of a mentor or a boss of some kind coming to you and, you know, wanting you to take on a project, if you know that you're already too busy, you you probably already have too many things on your plate, you might need to ask for their help to decide which is the most important because sometimes they are simply looking for another human to take over whatever that task is that they probably don't want to do right because they're probably also over overburdened with with things to do but that doesn't mean that it's a good fit for you it doesn't mean that it's in alignment with your interests We're going to have to say no to things. And again, you know, kind of the higher on the ladder we climb, the the more skills and expertise that we have, the more opportunities we get offered. But again, to do good work, there's only 24 hours in a day. We're going to have to be focused on what's important to us, what helps us move forward. You know, where can we use our gifts and talents, but do that in a bounded way.
0: I love it. I love two things that came out of what you said. One is that, wow, this is a skill. And that means you can practice it, you can develop it and get strong in it. And that is real. It's like, you may not be good at it now, but you're gonna practice and get better. The second thing is, I I love the way you talk about sharing with your mentor. Oh, great, this is a great opportunity. And what of these other things on my plate do you recommend I take to take on this work? Which is awesome because what you're doing is putting yourself on the same side of the table and saying, I know you care about me and I know you want me to succeed and how can we move forward together? And so I think it's it's a really great way to do it without being confrontational or feeling like you're being, you're, you're being mean or being rude in some way.
1: And when we're feeling overwhelmed and taxed and burned out, right? We often fall into black and white thinking. So we, we think either I say yes and just go along with it Or I, you know, slam my hands down on the table and say, hell no, and I leave, right? There is in between. There is a lot of middle ground there. And, you know, practicing and learning the skills of being able to say sort of no, but, or yes, and, you know, yes, and I'm going to need some help in deciding which of these things are priorities. Using those tools really helps us to be able to keep it collaborative. Yeah, to sit on the same side of the table, as you say.
0: I love it. I love it. Okay. You also touched on boundaries. I think this is a good segue into boundaries. Okay, tell me about boundaries and should clinicians who are trying to succeed as researchers have any boundaries? I mean, maybe when they get to the top, they can have boundaries, but why are boundaries important and how how do we enforce them?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And enforcing them tends to be kind of the biggest challenge, right? Because it's much easier to say, oh, I need help. I need to say no. But when you get that pushback, right, when you're sitting in that discomfort, when you feel it, you know, sort of coming on, being able to hold true to yourself, right, in that moment, you know, it doesn't all happen at once. When I think about boundaries, I really love Brene Brown's sort of guidance on that. She talks about living big, boundaries, integrity, and generosity. What boundaries do I need to have in place for me to stay within my integrity making the most generous assumptions of other people. So if we think about that in the clinician researcher space, right, the integrity piece is about producing high quality scientific progress, you know, clinical research. The generosity is assuming that everybody is doing the best that they can and trying to say, with what I've got, with where I am, what am I able to accomplish, and what do I need to say no to, right? If I've got some kind of a big project that I'm working on, then I'm probably not going to be able to, you know, take on other little tasks, especially ones that don't require my expertise. Maybe, maybe when I'm not working on a big project, I would pitch in, but you know, during that time I'm just gonna have to say no. Right. And that might be, that might be social engagements, right? That might be, yeah, I don't, I don't bring, you know, cupcakes to the birthday party, uh, <laughs> you know, or I don't I don't think, you know, my own you know, something like, you know, it can be that life stuff too, that I let myself off the hook with thinking I have to do things in the same way that I always do them in order to, you know, kind of complete this project the way that I want to.
0: Wow. You make it sound so easy.
1: <laughs> I don't but- think it's easy. Let me, let me, let me just say that. I don't think it's easy. and I don't think that, I think that's, you know, why would a lot of us run into trouble, right? We might try to set a boundary somewhere. We might say no to somebody and we might feel really good for a moment, right? After we sort of wrestled with the discomfort. But somebody's going to come and ping again against that boundary, right? It's not just going to happen one time. It's that maintenance, right? That ability to hold your own values, to know what's important for you and to be able to kind of keep that, keep that fence around and say, no, I'm protecting my time or my energy in this way. And because of that, I'm going to need to say no or I'm going to need to, you know, kind of ask for more help, you know, it can look a lot of different ways.
0: Yes. And, and it speaks to what you said earlier about black and white thinking, especially when you are burned out. And the reality is that there are many ways to present your boundaries and, and, and to enforce them without feeling like you're fighting all the time. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about perfectionism. Okay. So, so Sometimes my uh, members of my audience will say, well, perfectionism is necessary. If you're trying to submit a grant, it better be perfect. I mean, and, and mm-hmm. honestly, you've got to be really good. And so yeah. how do you let go of perfectionism when you absolutely need it? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. What, what do you say? That's to that?
1: another, that's another big topic. And again, I sort of lean into Brennan Brown's work on this, is that there's a difference between perfectionism and excellence or healthy striving, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, we want to provide, you know, high quality work, right? We, we want to produce things that matter and, you know, are well done. But perfectionism is really about a fear of shame, right? A fear of failure. So if, if I'm in this mindset where, you know, I can't have a typo or, you know, can't be wrong about something, I'm going to struggle to put anything out into the world, Mm. right? I'm going to be stopped because it's never going to seem good enough because I'm always going to be worried that someone's going to find a flaw, Mm. right? We know that, you know, kind of in the medical literature and research world, right, that we will find answers in some studies and then other studies are going to come along and they're going to debunk whatever we've seen, right? We, we, We know that, right? That's with that statistic you know that half of what we learned in medical school is is obsolete within five you know five years or something like that right we know that things are always changing and that includes the work that we're that we're you know doing all the time we want to produce high quality work and we want to get it out there and so we're going to have to let go of this idea that if if i don't have it all perfectly perfect maybe i'll just add on this little extra piece maybe i'll just revise it again or maybe i'll just do this We're never going to get it out there.
0: Okay, but the struggle is real. The struggle is real with when you go present your work at a conference and people kind of are not very nice sometimes. They tear it down. And so when you go to publish the manuscript, you are are afraid to put it out into the world because sometimes the criticism is harsh. How do you you deal with that?
1: Yeah, and I think that's, that's true elsewhere in medicine, right? I don't have a perfect answer for that because I don't control, you know, what people will say. But even if I produce something that's high quality, that, you know, I absolutely stand behind, somebody may come along and tear it down, right? That's also true. I might provide great care to my patient and they're upset about something, right? And they, they think it was a terrible visit. I don't control what other people think. So what I need to do is to stand behind my own work, To know that, you know, I control how I think about it, that I'm a fallible human, but I work hard and I produce high quality work. And I'm going to need to push forward with that, knowing that none of us is infallible, none of us actually is perfect. And the people who are being so harsh and so mean have probably been treated that way themselves and probably would love for it to be different. But until we start practicing, doing things differently right if we bring a different tack to academic medicine right to clinical research until we do that until we push for that the culture won't change right i'm sure that you don't want to be that person who's sitting there tearing down somebody else's work you may need to give them feedback you might want to you know point out if there's if there's a problem but we don't need to attack the person in order to do that We can be kind, we can be clear, we can be direct and create a different environment. Mm.
0: Yeah, the environment we wish wish to see. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I feel like you allude to is the need for radical Mm self-compassion which I think is a prelude to being able to have compassion on others. And some of that tearing down that we see is people who are struggling with their self-compassion. And so of course, how can they treat others with gentleness? Can you speak a little bit to how can our clinicians and our scientists develop more self-compassion?
1: Yeah, and I think often it's very easy for us to have compassion for others, right? We, we love our friends, our family, our pets, you know, perhaps our colleague, you know, we have a lot of compassion for what other people are going through. If your friend called you and they told you they were just diagnosed with cancer, or they were really behind on a major project or, you know, had a bad outcome, we wouldn't sit there and shame and blame them, right? We wouldn't do that. And yet we might do it to ourselves quite, quite by default, right? We might you know say i say i missed a deadline right or made a mistake or had a bad patient outcome and i sit there in the energy of i'm a terrible person i'm a terrible doctor i shouldn't be doing this even though i keep i keep doing it probably right cuz now i feel obligated to make up for it that doesn't help any of us it doesn't help me it doesn't help our patients right it's a terrible place to live and you would you would never do that to your friend or or your child, or, you know, even your pet. So when we're thinking about self-compassion, you know, when we hear those voices in our head, when we have that energy going on, you know, taking a pause and saying, would I ever say that out loud to another human? No, I, I am a human. I'm, you know, I, I do make mistakes because we all do. You know it's normal for me to feel this way it's normal for me to feel bad about something if something bad has happened and i can be here with myself i can be here with my feelings right so much of you know kind of the major problems with medical culture is we've been taught to push our feelings down pretend we don't have them you know to be just these wonderful caring compassionate human beings who don't have feelings of our own right But so many of us are sitting on top of like years and years of frustration and resentment and we're just kind of squashing it down. That is not benign. And and that includes when we think about sort of our compassion for ourselves. We need to be able to believe that we are valuable human beings, that, you know, that we will make mistakes, that we can have our own back, even if we're in kind of toxic cultures.
0: Wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. and i And I think that's just a perfect segue into my next question, which is that, well, what you're describing is countercultural, right? If this is not the prevailing culture of medicine, even though we're compassionate physicians with our patients, we're not compassionate with ourselves, and to a great extent, not with each other. And so, for a faculty member who wants to practice radical self-compassion, who wants to start to change the culture by changing themselves, How can they connect with you? How can they connect to do this work?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for asking. I currently work one-on-one and in groups with physicians, and we do this kind of work exactly. So we are looking at our situations and trying to untangle and unpack all the the layers of things. People can find me at my website, which is www.healthierforgood.com. And I am a fellow podcaster and my podcast is all about these topics. So that is ending physician overwhelm. And so for anybody who's out there listening to us on their favorite podcast player, they can certainly find my podcast there as well.
0: Awesome. Okay. And I will put that information in the show notes as well. Megan, it's been a pleasure to talk with you and you shared so many incredible insights that I know I can be helpful to so many I wonder if you have any closing comments, anything that we haven't talked about that it's important for you to mention.
1: Yeah, I think I'd just like to circle back to that counterculture because that that really comes up a lot. And I think that, you know, I especially see that in the women physicians that I coach who are working so hard to often fit into these sort of patriarchal, hierarchical systems and there's an extra layer there, right, of trying to be countercultural when you are already others. Finding safe spaces for you to feel cared for and nurtured, whether that's in a coaching, a therapy, a group, your family, your friends, right, having safe spaces where you can feel really nurtured and taken care of is really important. That isn't weakness. We as humans need compassion and connection for ourselves. And so even if the dominant culture where you are is not supportive and not, you know, kind of conducive to that, please find your space, find your safe space, get the help that you need. We all deserve that.
0: That is beautiful. And thank you. I feel like that's a perfect way to end today's show. Everyone you heard Dr. Megan Mello. Wow. It is countercultural. And especially if you're underrepresented in the academy in any way, it becomes even more challenging. Definitely seek help, seek community that will support you and reach out to Dr. Mello if you are struggling with perfectionism, burnout, and people-pleasing, which I think is most of us. So definitely check her out. Megan, thanks again for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much, Tracy, for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: All right, everyone. We'll see you again on the next episode of the Clinician Researcher Podcast. Please share this episode with someone else. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Clinician Researcher Podcast, where academic clinicians learn the skills to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. If you found the information in this episode to be helpful, don't keep it all to yourself. Someone else needs to hear it. So take a minute right now and share it. As you share this episode, you become part of our mission to help launch a new generation of clinician researchers who make transformative discoveries that change the way we do